0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Holistic Hearts. I am your host, Kristen Chadwick, and today I am doing something new. At the beginning of the year, when I really sat down and thought about the vision of the podcast, sorry, you just heard my phone. Um, when I thought about the vision of the podcast, I really had in my heart that I would love to just highlight some people around me that I know, and they've been on the podcast maybe in the past, and I would love for them to just do a takeover, a guest takeover. So I invited some of my closest friends and family to share what's on their heart. And I love how God totally aligns us to be in sync at certain times in our journey. And today is no exception. And so we're going to kick it off with one of my very good friends. Um, She says in the show that we have been friends over a decade, which is crazy to think about. And I adore her. Her name is Jenny Lunning. If you have listened to this show for a while, you might have heard her. I've interviewed her a couple of times here. And Today she is going to be bringing us a conversation about sitting in tension and how Jesus can meet us there. And I'm so looking forward to this and I want you to just stay tuned because when I talk about being in alignment with somebody and just the Holy Spirit working on both of our hearts, we both have been sitting in a similar passage in scripture and She has some great revelation and she has a background in cognitive behavioral therapy and attachment theory. So I love how she brings her expertise of being a counselor and bringing her knowledge and wisdom into this conversation. All right, so here we go for our first guest takeover with Jenny Lenning.
1: Hi, my name is Jenny Lenning and Kristen has asked me to do um, a podcast here today on something that I've been thinking about and that the Lord's been putting on my heart, and I'm excited to be here. Um, Kristen and I have known each other for, I think, going on a decade now, and as you all know, she is just such a delight, and anytime she asks for something, I'm happy to do that um, because she's the best. So, Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about something that the Lord has put on my heart. Um, I'll give you a little intro to who I am because I think it helps this subject make a little bit more sense. But I am a mental health counselor. I'm also a believer. And the crossroads of those two things are my favorite subject, really. How the physiological, mental, um, spiritual convergence comes together. And I love thinking about how God made our minds and our bodies and and really made them to reveal himself to us more and more. So I'm going to talk a bit today about um, reframing. So I am a cognitive behavioral therapist. I'm also an attachment therapist. Those are my two main um, theories that I work from. Um, We're going to kind of leave the attachment piece For now, I think we'll see if we get back to that, but with cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, the basis of that is that you are reframing your thoughts to change the way that you see life, approach life. Really, CBT is about replacing negative or rigid thinking with more flexible, empowering thoughts. So that's kind of the mental health piece of that. The way that I see that converging with Scripture, with the way that God made our minds to encounter Him really, is the renewing of the mind. We hear about this in Romans from Paul, um, that we are called to renew our mind. Um, So I'm going to take us into a piece of Scripture that really has highlighted for me a little bit of how Jesus tried to renew the mind of his disciples. Um, scripture is so rich, so full, um, really interactive. So I hope that as you're listening to this today, that this will minister to you, that the Holy Spirit will really make this come alive to your heart as I speak. Um, his word, but also kind of go into a little bit of my own interpretation around that. Um, so I'm going to, you can hear me flipping my pages just a moment. I'm going to get to the right spot. So I'm going to read out of Mark six and this account starts with the heading of 5,000 fed, right? Um, I love to say when I'm teaching about Scripture that really for the people who were there on this day, this was just a Wednesday. Um, This was not in Mark chapter 6, verse 33. So as you sit listening to this podcast right now, I just would ask that you would suspend what we sometimes do on automatic of knowing how the story ends. I really would like you to try to suspend the time to try to really imagine that you're in it, that you're one of the disciples experiencing this miraculous miracle with Jesus. Mark six thirty three um, starts with, it says, the people saw them, talking about the disciples and Jesus, going and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. This is a very interesting response, right? And again, you're probably thinking, well, we know what he's going to do. But if you were one of those disciples, I think you would be a little bit confused um, as they were because they said back to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and then give them something to eat? Kind of a little bit tongue in cheek, perhaps. Um, So we're not really, of course, anticipating what he was going to do. Right. This is, um, you know, each gospel actually has this specific account. I actually uh, really love in John 6, 6, it's the same account told in John. And it specifically tells us that he says to Philip that they're having this conversation around not having enough bread. He asks Philip, what do you think we should do? And I remember reading that one day and just stopping cold because I think Jesus there is smirking a bit in a real twinkle in his eye way, not in a mean spirited way at all, but kind of trying to call out in him, what do you think I can do? This is a big part of the renewing of the mind. I think Jesus, in times of of tension like this is, it's a time of tension when There's thousands, actually we're told there's 5,000, but that's only counting men. So there's 5,000 men, countless women and children. They have no food, right? Aside a little child's lunch, a few pieces of bread and fish. But nothing that in the natural would feed this amount of people. But in John's account, he says, what do you think we should do? I think this is a big piece of what I would like to hit on with with times of tension in our life, when we come up against something that doesn't actually make sense or we don't have resources for in the natural. I think that's when Jesus is inviting us to think bigger, that he's wanting to carry us up into the throne room of God and give us a different perspective of not what can you do in your own strength, child, because I hope that you like me, have come to those points where you know there's very little I can do there, in my own strength, but where we look to Him and we say, "What? What will You do, Jesus? What can You do?" Um, what I'm getting to, and very slowly I <laughs> admit, is I want to reframe for you, as I'm continuing in this narrative. I want to reframe to you what tension is Uh, as a mental health therapist tension I've found in my own life and with clients and friends tensions tends to be interpreted as I need to do something to get out of this tension I just need to make it stop I just need to get back to a place where I can be at a homeostasis and really be on autopilot and not have to think much What I find sitting in my chair as a therapist is often the things that move us the most, the things that you would mention if someone said to you, tell me your life story. Those things would be birthed out of tension and honestly pain. However, very seldom, even knowing that those are the things that changed us the most Seldom do we look at the next heart tension-filled thing and say, yippee, we get to do this again. Instead, we're looking like this disciple or disciples are looking at Jesus and we're like, there is nothing to be done here. Jesus, we know, as we go back to the narrative, he then proceeds to break these few pieces of bread and fish and feed thousands of people. We see him looking up to God. We see him breaking the bread. The disciples, you can only imagine, dumbfounded, right? They're coming back again and again, and he's filling their baskets. They're going out. You can only imagine for long amounts of time that they're going to reach those farthest groups of people. Um, It says in the narrative that he asked them to sit down. In groups. So they're sitting as far as the eye can see. The disciples are walking and walking and walking to the outermost groups, putting down those baskets, coming back and probably on the way back thinking like, well, those, that group got fed, but the rest of you, uh, you might be out of luck, but getting back to Jesus, he has more. He's blowing their minds, right? I hope. Um, here's where the fun part about renewing the mind really hit home on this scripture for me. I want you to picture these disciples after they have fed everyone. They're probably exhausted. Number one, they have walked miles, but they're also in that state of awe. I wonder if you've ever felt that in your life where Jesus has done something really incomprehensible that doesn't fit with any rational explanation that you can explain it away with it was simply he moved in your life and and this can be something really enormous um to you know healing some someone in your life too i remember when i was little and i was praying this is so funny that this popped in my mind but i was trying on jewelry from my mom's jewelry box and she was all about that. I wasn't sneaking around with that, um, although that that could have happened. But I remember wearing one of the specific necklaces around that I knew that she really loved. And after I was done, I put everything away and that necklace was gone. And I searched the house up and down. And I think my mom must have been out because I remember being alone and really afraid that this is lost and I don't know what to do and I'm sad and um, anticipating my mom being sad. And I remember sitting and praying, Lord, to help me find this necklace. And I walked back into my room and it was right in the middle of the floor, right where there was no way that I could have missed it. He had put it there for me. So that's one of these awe moments. And as little as that is, it was incredibly important to me and Jesus knew that. Um, so even though it wasn't feeding 5,000 people, I, like the disciples in that moment, I was in awe of the answer that he gave me, of really the tangible expression of his witness and his care and, and the way that, that he sees me. So I want you to picture that for the disciples in this Mark 6 account. It says that... Um, after they fed uh, all of the people, it says they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces. So easy math, right? 12 disciples, 12 baskets of leftovers. So they each had a basket. I think that's fair to assume. It says that they, they took their baskets, um, after the ate, and then Mark 6, 45 begins with the word immediately. And no matter how you break that down or try to, um, you know, put a different spin on that immediately means right then. So right then Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away after bidding them farewell he left for the mountain to pray. So here's the scene. Jesus goes up the mountain. He sends the disciples immediately away. Immediately. So what are they holding? They're each holding a basket of the leftovers of the miracle that he has just performed. I I hope that this is starting to sink into you, that they are now sitting with this basket of, of uh tangible proof of his goodness of the supernatural ways that he moves outside of the natural bounds of a problem. They're sitting that with, yeah, with that between their legs in the boat says when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and Jesus was alone on the land. Jesus saw them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea and intended to pass them by. That's just a fun little aside. But I want you to picture these men. Quite a few of them were fishermen. They are not strangers to the sea, but they are straining at the oars. This little detail tells us that there was a storm, right? There was something kicking up that was making them fearful. Then, as they're in the fear of already being in the midst of a natural storm, they look up and there is a person walking on the water towards them. Okay. You and I again are thinking, well, of course, this is the verse where Jesus walks on the water. We have to stop that. If you were there, you would have likely been terrified. There's somebody walking towards you. You're a little bit too much in fear to recognize that it's Jesus at first. And so you just start losing it, right? Being really, really scared. Um, As he gets closer and closer, we know that this is the moment that, that Peter really wants to be close to him and cries out that he wants to, to walk with him on the water. But what I want to focus on is that they were terrified, right? That they, um, got into this fearful place, despite having that lesson immediately prior that Jesus has the ability to meet us in these, uh, you know, problems, in this tension, in this pain, in this fear. What really struck me about this is that when he got back in the boat, after he had scooped up Peter, it says that the wind stopped. And that the disciples were utterly astonished. And it says they were astonished because in Mark 6, chapter 5, verse 52, it says, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Man, that I have this highlighted and circled in my Bible um, because it really has meant so much to me. What that really says to me is, yes, um, Jesus does come for us in every situation. I think also what he's wanting to do when he does something supernatural in our lives, as little as finding a necklace for, for me when I was a child. He's not only wanting to bless us, wanting to make sure that we know that he sees us. He's actually also trying to renew our minds to a new way of thinking. This way of thinking is the higher way where we are recognizing that maybe in the natural things seem impossible, but we weren't meant to to live in that place. We were meant to live where we can say, but Jesus, you can do anything. And I need for you to show me, for you to partner with me in this moment. And I think that's a piece of how we reframe the tension in our lives. One other thing I wanted to say um, about this is as I was thinking on this message, one of the very first books that I read um, specifically about psychology, I believe I was 16 ish, um, is called The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. The very first sentence of that book, maybe you are familiar with it, the first sentence says, Life is hard period. And I remember reading that and it's quite an interesting start, right? To a book. But as you read through it, which I do highly recommend if you have not, um, is there's a real surrender to that spiritually, scripturally, Jesus is very clear that in this world, there will be trouble, right? Um, John 1633, it says in this world, you will have tribulation but take courage. I have overcome the world. So, what I would add to that Scott Peck sentence is life is hard and he is with us. Which also, for me, brings up the picture of Psalm 23, right? That though we walk through the valley of death, he is with us and he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. So, what I would like to really summarize with after all all of, of this that I've already said is I think it's of utmost importance the way that we see the hard, the pain of our lives. And I wonder what it would be like when we have that next stressor, that next hardship, if instead of going into lack and fear and victimhood and pity and um, and numbness and there's lots of different options there to us that what if instead of looking just at the problem we tried to look at where is Jesus in this with me and what is the provision that he'll have to give to get me through this and let that be our focus that man There's going to be good things that he's going to do, right? What if we could look back at the last hard thing and take courage from knowing that he not only brought us through that, but he also changed us, that he moved us into a different level of knowledge of himself, knowledge of ourselves by showing us we could do, we could do the hard thing. I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago about people who have experienced really hard things in their life. I was really bouncing off some of this idea with her about how I'm really learning to reframe tension and pain. And, and she brought up, um, because she's had a lot of hardship in her life, a lot of really personal, um, loss and, um, people close to her passing away. And, We were talking about how people who, you know, have been through something hard. She said, you know, people who've been through hard things like me, they probably have a harder time going through the next thing. And, And I said, you know, with clients I've worked with, with my own experience, I actually find that people who have gone through the worst thing and they've done it really the best they can, right, some of that survival but really tried to do the best they can, really lean on the Lord in that, I actually think they're better suited for the next hard thing. One reason for that is they've realized that nothing will separate us from God. That That is actually a learned experience from them, for them. That's not a scripture. That has moved from their head to their heart, that He will never leave them. And so I actually see that as they are much more suited for the next hard thing because they know the height and depth of his love and his resource. And when they're partnered with him, they also know the height and depth of their own ability um, to overcome. We are overcomers. So I want um, to really impress upon you that I think the, the hardship in life is most certainly, um, <laughs> well, I guess I'm not sure I can say most certainly to every uh, thing, because sometimes we do things that are purposefully not the right thing to do. But when hard things are happening to you, seldom is that because God is causing them. Right. It says that um, that he will use everything for the good of those who love him. Uh, I don't believe that he is causing hardship and pain to mess with you. I really don't. I think In fact, I think that filter can very much um, harm our relationship with the Lord in hard things, right? If we think, man, He must be a hard God because I'm going through this hard thing, instead of, man, He is never going to leave me where I am alone, and He's never going to stop allowing things to happen so that I'll grow. Um, That's very different than, He must just be punishing me. So... That might be a good tangent that I just accidentally went on, but I don't believe that he causes these things, but I believe he will use everything to bring us closer to him. I want to share with you, um, a quote from, uh, it's a George McDonald anthology that actually is written by C.S. Lewis, but I'm going to read you this short little bit about, um, prayer and And I want to expand before I read this, because I think it's specifically about prayer. The way that I see prayer, and I think a little bit of what George MacDonald is also highlighting, is really any time that we are turning our face to Him is prayer. Prayer is encountering Him. It is really just the growing of the awareness of His constant presence with us. So let me read this. All right. George MacDonald said, "But if it if God is so good as you represent him, and if he knows all that we need and better far than we do ourselves, why should it be necessary to ask him for anything?" I answer, "What if he knows prayer to be the thing we need first and most? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer is the supplying of our great an endless need, which is the need of himself. Hunger may drive the runaway child home and he may or may not be fed at once, but he needs his mother more than his dinner. This part really got me. Let me go on communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other need. Prayer is the beginning of that communion and some need is the motive of that prayer. So begins the communion, the talking with God, the coming one-to-one with Him, which is the sole end of prayer and the sole end of existence itself in its infinite phases. We must ask that we may receive, but that we should receive what we ask in respect of our lower needs is not God's end in making us pray, for He could give us everything without that but to bring us, his children, to our knees in front of him who can give us all is why he withholds that we may ask. I hope that makes sense to you. I know that that language, the way that he writes it, is a little bit old school. So what I really got from that and what really resonated with me is, and and really makes me emotional, is that the child needs his mother more than his dinner. Um... He's revealed in my own life, when I get in these these really stuck places of feeling ultimately just frustrated that life isn't easy, what he's revealed to me is that he loves for me to lean on him. And what he's revealed also is that under that desire for things to be easy, for there to be a homeostasis where I can just go autopilot and not really be awake to life, what he's revealed is that sometimes the drive of my flesh is to really be good enough or to have things going well enough that I don't need him. So I wonder if that resonates with you and that there could be a different interpretation of, of the pain and the tension of our life, that it's not just for nothing that there could be meaning, that there could be growth, that there could be leaning and communion and fellowship with him in places where he's the only one that can give us what we need, that can provide us the bread, that can calm our storm. So I hope that that encourages you today. I hope that you can feel his presence with you. Um, As I was uh, explaining that I like to ask God where he is in something, a last thing that I'll say is one uh, tactic or strategy I have for this that Kristen really does so well. And if you've been listening to this co- uh, podcast for any amount of time, you've experienced encounters that she's led. I like to get that in a bite-sized version when I'm in a place of hardship or really even not long-term hardship, but even somebody cutting me off or, or a near miss, um, accident where I try to picture in that moment, where is Jesus right this minute? I use my imagination to encounter him and to see him. Is he sitting beside me? Is he holding my shoulders from behind? Is he kissing my head? These are things that really grow that awareness moment to moment of his withness, um, which, transforms everything. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for, um, this giving this time of your day. I hope that it will reap great benefits for you. I just pray that whatever was from the Holy spirit for you would just continue to blossom and bloom in your heart. So be kind to yourself and, um, I hope you know that you're loved.
0: Thank you guys for listening in. Again, I am so honored that Jenny was able to and was our first guest takeover. What a gold nugget of truth that we get to walk away with and have this convergence, as she likes to call it, of standing in the tension with Jesus. I hope you walk away with this in the back of your mind as you are walking through your day, whether it is full of trial or (laughs) maybe it's just an easy-go-lucky day, but to tuck this into your tool belt because we get to renew our mind and reframe our perspective when there is a need, when there is pain, when there is suffering. And as she said, like Jesus said, in life, there will be trouble and What an opportunity that we get to ask and invite him into those spaces. All right, guys, go check out Jenny. You can check her out on the link below. And also, I just wanted to wet your whistle for next week uh, as we are going to continue on with this conversation and a little bit of a different uh, perspective. I thought we would just stay here on this story of the parable where Jesus is multiplying the bread. And I guess it's not really a parable. It's actually happened. So it's not a parable. It's actually the story. It is history. And I just want to camp out there because there's so much meat. So stay tuned for next week. I look forward to seeing you then.